Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Leaders in Medicine, a special podcast series led by our section editor on pulmonary and critical care medicine, Dr. Jasbal Singh. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions. Greetings, everybody. I'm Jaspal Singh. I, um, on behalf of Consultant 360, welcoming to our next edition of Women in Critical Care series. Uh, I'm with two uh, very prominent uh, physicians here, Dr. Stephanie Taylor and Dr. Julie and Dr. Julie Freischlag. Uh, welcome, w- ladies, and happy International Women's Day. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll begin with you, Dr. Freischlag. Do you want to introduce yourself, and, and we'll talk a little bit today about the topic of academic issues related to COVID-19. Yeah, I'm uh, Julie Freischlag. I'm a vascular surgeon. Uh, by trade, but presently I'm CEO of Wake Forest Baptist Health and Dean of Wake Forest School of Medicine. And since October, I'm also the Chief Academic Officer of Atrium Health. So I'm actually uh, more of an administrator, but I still operate. I'm a thoracic outlet syndrome specialist. So I take care of patients with thoracic outlet syndrome. I have done that for a couple of decades, actually uh, really focused on that. And have patients that come from all over the country and the world for us to operate on them. Uh, also spend uh, spend a lot of my time as a surgeon in the past. I was chief of surgery at Hopkins and also uh, division chief of vascular surgery at UCLA in my past. Wow, so you've, this topic is probably something you can really relate to from what I can gather. So That's thank you. That would have been the drill. <laughs> That's, That's fantastic. And uh, Dr. Stephanie Taylor. Yeah, um, I am an associate professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at Atrium Health. Um, I practice medicine at um, Carolina's Medical Center, our large um, hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina. As a physician scientist, I co-direct our organization's acute care research program, which takes a learning health science approach to clinical questions that are relevant to patients with acute and critical illnesses. Most of my own research uh, involves improving outcomes for patients with sepsis, so using health services research and pragmatic trial methods to address questions like optimal timing of antibiotics, fluid resuscitation, and early sepsis. And then some of my work also um, tries to identify ways to help sepsis survivors recover um, closer to their pre-illness health status. Well, that's fantastic introductions for both of you. That's very helpful to know your background. And obviously you're both very passionate about academics. And I love my time in academia. I you know, remember it fondly, um, but there are some parts of it that um, are a little bit, I guess, challenging for many women, especially. Uh, my wife's a physician as well. She did a, a, a research fellowship in health services outcomes. And, um, and then in that process though, there was a clear, clear challenges that we both faced as a physician couple. I was wondering if you could talk to us about sort of what is it that draws you to academics and what are some of the maybe out the, the top challenges you might be facing today? Dr. Freischlag, do you wanna start? Well, I think you identified the number one um, uh, issue that's uh, the new frontier is couples. Couples that are coming out of medical school. We've never seen so many partnerships of both being physicians. I think last year we matched 12 couples out of the class here, some male and female, some female, female, some male, male, but we had 12 couples. So you show up to be trained and then to have amazing careers. And oh, by the way, you decide to have a couple kids and then it gets really confusing. So when I went through it, uh, I actually didn't have my uh, son till I was 40. So I actually did my training uh, and everything 
as a single person. So I was um, only the sixth woman in the country to be uh, certified as a vascular surgeon. So when I trained, I was that old school in the house every other night. There really was no opportunity to have any outside life back then. They thought it was the right thing to do, but we've learned better as we've gone forward. So I think balancing not only your career, but perhaps your partner's career, and then trying to integrate how you want to spend your time, of which all of it is important and joyful. So I think as you go forward, trying to make sure you have great time management, understanding what resources you have to, to help you do your things, such as I haven't cleaned my house since 1983, and I have no intention of doing that. My husband stayed home when our son was seven. He's a businessman. And he was a horrible cook, but now he's a great cook and I don't cook. Uh, I like doing crafts and other things and he does the cooking. So I think figuring out what you're gonna do and what you're not gonna do and not feeling guilty about it. For me, the best thing about academia is really Dr. Taylor, you know, watching <laughs> uh, people come through the process to learn and to grow, writing papers, doing presentations, mentoring and being around young people that spear you on to make that happen. And actually, I was just going to say, Dr. Taylor, I'm coming down twice a month now um, to Charlotte. I have an office on the second floor. There'll be a sign soon. I need you to come talk to me and let me hear what you do, because that's what, what floats my boat. Uh, so teaching, training, uh, I still teach operations to young people in the operating room. So I think that's my spirit as teaching the next generation to take good care of our patients. Well, that's very helpful. That's a great segue. And I think you've given a lot of sage advice. Um, and we'll come to the challenges later. Cause I want to, I want to dive in a little bit deeper into some of those challenges that you do, that you outlined, but first let's hear from Dr. Taylor real quick. Um, yeah, I am also one of those uh, dual physician couples. My husband is an intensivist that works with, with Jasper. So um, there's, there's a lot of additional stressors that go on with that. Um, but I, I'm drawn to academia. I know it's not for everyone, but for me, clinical science research questions and the methods that we have to answer them are just among the most fascinating and important work that I think we can do. And particularly the learning health science framework of generating knowledge, engaging stakeholders, implementing behavior change so that we're actually transforming practice based on evidence. Um, this just feels like such an important and fulfilling mission to me. So it's very motivating to stick with it despite you know, multiple challenges and it not always being the easiest road, um, particularly um, for women scientists, it turns out. Yeah, and so um, Stephanie, you have a few little little ones running around and uh, we've talked about this before. I think it was, you know, I think parenting today, I don't know if you talk about that a little bit, um, the demands of parenting have probably shifted a little bit and I think it has been. We've watched our younger colleagues um, sort of have different challenges than some of us have. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about that, how you're balancing that work-life balance a little bit. Yeah, what, pre-pandemic or? Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, very this, different. Um, I, I have, I, I spent a lot of effort pre-pandemic orchestrating this sort of intricate network of support sort of like lots of flotation devices that kept me on top of the water while I could focus all my time on either career or family. So similar to what Dr. Freshlight said, I don't clean my house. I don't do a lot of these things that I, things that aren't important to my career or directly bring me joy. I am fine with either not doing them or delegating them to someone else. 
Um, and I think that's really important is writing your own narrative about what you have to do, um, particularly as a, as a woman, what a mom has to do and what a wife has to do. Make your own narrative instead of just being beholden to, you know, the, the typical societal narrative about that. Um, I will say that post pandemic or during the pandemic, all of those flotation devices that I had made overnight deflated um, and I was drowning. Um, clinical work obviously exploded as we were stretching ourselves to care for the surge of really sick patients. Research exploded because not only were my pre-pandemic grants and projects still needing to march on, but now there were all these new clinical questions about COVID that needed answers and they needed answers quickly. And then family life exploded because we had no school and we became full-time child caregivers and full-time educators. So there was like no balance. It was all full throttle. Um, everyone's got their little story about how their children unceremoniously, you know, appear in Zoom meetings. But for me, the tipping point was I was trying to submit a manuscript. Um, so I had the editorial manager software open or whatever, and then the kids needed something to do. So I was also trying to print out a coloring page for them. So I had Optimus Prime, the main character in the Transformers up on a different screen. Somehow I managed to accidentally print or paste the Optimus Prime picture into a response field and editorial manager. So I could not get it erased. I could not get it to go away. So there it was supposed to be like response to reviewers and there is Optimus Prime, just this <laughs> glaring mental image or physical image that the overlap between my work life and my home life had just gotten out of control. So that was sort of the tipping point for me where I realized I just can't do this. Um, and fortunately, at that point, we were starting to get a little more comfortable with childcare providers and stuff like that. But it, it, I won't lie, it was really hard um, in, in the thick of it um, when, when, right when COVID hit around the springtime. Well, that's, that's a great sort of segue to the next thing. So this is, as, as I can't imagine what that was like. My kids are a little bit older. So, I mean, we have our own challenges with two teenage daughters at home. Um, sure. But that being said, um, the aspect of you're trying to ba balance all this at home, you're trying to balance all this at work. And at some point you're benchmarked, at some point you're going to want, you're going to want a promotion, you know, and there's certain sort of um, the achieves or uh, achievements or goals you, you, that you need to, to, to do to get that. So it almost seems like if you're trying to be helpful at home and do all these things and be active and, and do things that provide, you, that, that provide joy and value, it's hard to benchmark against people who don't have all those sort of other outside pressures. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll start off with that because I think it's actually changed a lot, some for the better and maybe not so much. When I had my first job at UCLA, you had four years to get published and be assessed or they'd fire you. They would just get rid of you. And so you had a four-year time clock that they would assess to say, are you going to be promotable to associate professor? And when you think back about that, I mean, how silly was that, you know, to get rid of people because you had four years to me. And that happened, you know, when you were 31 and 32 years of age. And when we did a survey at UC Davis before we came here, young men are feeling the pressure too, because they want to know their teenage daughters. They want a partner, and plus their partner's busy too, so they would like to be there. And the, the other group that's under siege is really more senior women taking care of their parents. You know, so I think there are other groups that are that can identify that you can talk to to make it happen. So I think what we've done with promotion is to really give lots of opportunity to be promoted. I think the best thing happened with outcomes similar to what 
Dr. Taylor was saying, you can make a career of outcomes. I started an outcome center at Hopkins Surgery. We put it right in the middle of everyone's offices so we could look at surgical outcomes and infection rates. And instead of looking back and counting what you did, which was interesting and impressive, you actually could do just what she's doing, look forward and do it in real time to make a difference in a patient. So we flipped that so you could take your work and publish it. And everyone will tell you around here, every time you tell me what you're doing, I said, you can publish that, write that up. This whole atrium partnership, I told Gene Woods, we need to write this up about how we are combining faculty from both sides. How are we going to start this school? How are we going to take the great things at um, both legacy institutions and make it this new way of doing things in a way that we appreciate each other's activities? And so I think making sure you write that up and make it happen. But for reasons that she just mentioned, women have been noted to be less productive during COVID. Dr. Melina Kibbe, who is the editor of uh, JAMA Surgery, which uh, she took over for me. I was editor for 10 years and now she's the editor, documented that in the press. When you look at COVID-19 articles, it's mainly men that are publishing those articles and not women. So I do think for the reasons that she just said, you know, you've got these kids, you, you can't do anything and now you're contained. You can't even have people come in your house because of the virus. So I do think it has uh, taught us to reassess a bit about what you can and cannot do. And the last thing I'll tell you is we created a new clinical track since I've been here. Um, and so that you can get promoted on a clinical track, which really is education, outcomes, research, uh, those kind of things that you love to do. So you choose those and you can get promoted on a clinical professor track, just like those who wanna be in the research lab, which is really maybe only about 10 to 20% of us. And to do that, you have to do it full time with a team. You can't just do it on Tuesdays. So again, appreciation of everything people are contributing uh, to the advancement of knowledge and care of patients. And then also look at what's happened with COVID-19. We have three vaccines that work. That work had been going on for years prior to um, the emergence of the virus. And we certainly have learned how to take care of the COVID patients better. You both know that better than I do where our outcomes are even better with them once they get into the hospital or the ICU. So I think having an open mind, uh, having flexibility. I've told people as we get through this pandemic, the number one uh, goal you should do is to have flexibility. Flexibility with your home life because you've learned to have to be flexible, flexibility at work, and flexibility with each other so that we can appreciate each other and listen to each other. Well, that's really well said. Um, it's a lot. To, so I hear, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of sage advice. Um, Stephanie, what are your thoughts? Um, as far as the impact of, of COVID on promotion and women's careers, um, like Dr. Freschlag mentioned, there's certainly evidence that women scientists have lost research productivity due to the pandemic. Um, there's a study from Harvard Business School that um, found that across the board, women lost research hours, um, but the most important variable was having a young dependent so that uh, a scientist who had one kid under five had something like a 20% larger decline in research time and then multiple dependents um, were associated with a further decline. Um, in some ways, this is like incredibly obvious for those of us who have been living the experience. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of validating to see it in print. 
What I worry about the most, though, is not necessarily the number of hours we've had to spend on research, but the type of work that we've been able to do during the pandemic. You know, there's urgent work and then there's important work. The important work is sort of the big idea, career building, deep thinking work. And the urgent work is more just these perfunctory tasks that have to get done. Um, the career advice is obviously to focus on the important work first with your first fruits of energy and motivation, or otherwise the urgent work will expand to fill the time and you won't have any time left for important work. But what the pandemic did really was just brought so much urgent work, especially for women, that every day it was just put out the hottest fire and there was no space for this important, big idea, career building work. And my main concern is that that will have long-term consequences on uh, the careers of, of women scientists going forward. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think uh, I think a lot of people are saying what you're saying essentially is that yeah, we got through this. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for hope. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. A lot of us created new sort of ways to get our daily work done. You know, we got through it, the worst part of it. But there might be a, but it was a lot of it was just survival, is what I hear you saying. It's just kind of getting through the day, getting through the, the primary duties. But when you talk about writing a grant or writing a really impactful manuscript or really collecting your data, even if it's outcomes data, to just design that process, to really take a deep dive into it. And even as a, Myself, I had all these great ideas when COVID hit, we would do all this work, but it ended up being just really hard to sit down and do the deep work. Yeah. So, and it might affect things down the line. And I think that's just the reality of things. And so I think Dr. Freisler, you've given some, you, um, you've given some, some solutions, flexibility, be flexible, um, be uh, willing to sort of um, reach out and engage in different ideas. What are some other ideas that you, that, that you think would be helpful kind of moving forward now at this point? I think what we saw with our researchers who aren't like Stephanie, who are doing sort of both, you know, when you've got clinical work and researchers, my pure researchers, they actually were more productive. Um, we actually found that many of them work better from home. So my public health sciences group really doesn't need to come to the office. And actually that gives me a lot more office space to hire more people as we go forward. And they're very productive at home. We also found that uh, people coming in and out of the lab, so maybe when they would do experiments, because they all went home, but then they came back, do experiments on Monday, Wednesday, they would spend Tuesday, Thursday at home, so there wasn't so much density in the lab, and they got more writing done, because they weren't there talking to the other people doing research. So there are some people that this has actually coordinated what they needed to do, but they certainly struggled, just like she talked about, if they had small kids at home, Teenagers were a problem too, because you needed to wonder where they were. Uh, but we also didn't travel a lot this last year. So somehow the days are long, but the months are short, right? So you, you come to work every day. It's sort of like Groundhog's Day. You don't go anywhere and you can actually do, I can say yes to these things because I pop on for an hour and, I, and leave. And I found out I said yes to about 30 of them in the next three months. I'm like, what was I thinking, you know, to do it? So I think there are some pieces of that. Maybe it also taught us that maybe not everything is as important as we thought. You know, maybe some of those things that we thought we needed to do to get an abstract together to make this happen, maybe they're not as important as we thought and that we can go back and reframe the important. I have found though, I can't read. You know, I was a big time reader for, um, I always read on planes and that. And I haven't been a reader. I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of leadership. I. I found sort of a COVID fog brain. So I think as we all come out of that, 
where you are so exhausted from putting out fires, making sure your bottom line's good, how many COVID patients are in the hospital, all those things we worry about, that we need to reframe what is going to be important and, 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 and who's gonna help us do that. I, I think including many others. And I think we're so lucky, uh, hopefully everyone down in Charlotte feels we're so lucky that in October, right in the middle of this horrible pandemic, we partnered with each other. So here comes a medical school. Actually, the medical students started today. You just got a little cadre of medical students. I think seven or eight of them showed up today. Uh, there's like 50 of them that can't wait to come down there. Uh, so we partnered with a big engine of patients to study. So maybe we need to think of that better. That There's going to be a medical school there in, in three years. We just put in the application for the third and fourth years because we got it done because we didn't have any other place to go. You know, So it just got filed for the third and fourth year students. So you wonder whether or not we are the fortunate ones to have the strategic partnership as we emerge as a new type of delivery of care and teaching and training. And then do we need to learn how to do things, um, maybe not as scripted. Because uh, certainly when I raised my son, you know, he had his school, he had his activities, he had this, he had that. We had all that. Then what happens, I loved your how you described it, that everything deflated when you have nothing. And I know watching my stepkids with their young kids, um, they have spent tons of time with them. So everybody's ready to go do something else, but they certainly have spent tons of time with them and, and they may remember this as the time where they bonded with us a little bit more, even though uh, it seems so stressful. Uh, but I do think it's, it's gonna be interesting coming out of this. They call it the next normal. We just had a retreat here. We can't call it the new normal. It's the next normal. And we can't have expectations that we'll go to as many meetings. I think everything will be hybrid. I think you as a young associate professor, Stephanie will be able to attend meetings uh, without any scorn from from home, if you can't fly there, <laughs> you'll be able to be on a panel, even if you're not there. Because when I was a young professor, I flew across the country for an hour meeting. And if I didn't do it, I wasn't committed right, right. to do it. So I do think we'll see flexibility later for women that you can participate in many different ways. And it's okay. Or as me, as a, a CEO that, and a CAO at Charlotte, I can pop into your meetings without driving to Charlotte. You know, I don't have to be there every day to make it work. So I do think this next normal uh, might be the most important thing we do, uh, not only to combat the virus and get on the other side, but redefine exactly how much we demand of ourselves. Well, that's really well said. Um, started thinking through. So it sounds like to summarize the the podcast essentially um, from from for both of you. So correct me if I'm wrong if I missed anything. Um, sounds like um, for women, at least for the academics, you both love your love what you're doing. There's a lot of reward here uh, in in what you're doing on a day to day basis. So you encourage people to explore academics. It sounds like and find rewarding careers recognizing that um, although there has been a, tr a traditional gender bias in a lot of these things, we think there's things that are being worked on from flexibility, from flexibility in the different aspects of promotion, how the day works, and the different milestones required. And there's a lot of things that are out there that are potentially now people are paying attention to in terms of solutions, to pay attention to that and start, you know, really do what, do what brings you joy. And um, maybe let go of some of the extra smoke 
potentially and not get so busy caught up on things that may not matter and prioritize accordingly. Um, and that you think this is an important thing to, to address because as you mentioned, Dr. Freischlag is the idea that this is a, becoming a more ubiquitous issue across genders, uh, trying to balance work and home, that it's gonna be important no matter what you do in your career, um, that we have to pay attention to those aspects. Um, but overall that things are looking on the up, on the up and up, and that there's actually a lot of reasons for hope. Am I getting that right? I think so, actually. And the other thing I would tell women um, and men to do is um, we've embarked on a lot of bystander training, and it's really important. We call it wake. You don't have to call it wake. We could call it legacy wake, whatever you want to call it, but really learning who you are. And when you're in a situation where you're not being treated correctly or you think there needs to be a change, you learn to speak up, to say something about it, and especially for those in our hierarchy, our younger people, uh, who may be women, uh, students of color, uh, people from foreign lands, people from Charlotte versus Winston, that you speak up for people, not only for yourself or others. And I'll give you an example. Today, I did. I had to go get my BLS CPR card redone. Uh, even I have to go to the class. And now you get to do it all online, right? So you only have to show up for one hour instead of four. And as I was practicing with the AED, I, I asked the guy, I said, why? Why does the AED have only a male voice? Why isn't there a girl AED voice? I said, I, all we hear is this men talking. So my critique, I had all my teams say, we would like an AED that actually is a woman speaking like a GPS. So I think those, even things like that, I bet you we see one soon that actually it doesn't, the voice of power and God does not always have to be male, no offense, uh, Jasmine. But I, I think those are the kind of things you can call out that saying, and plus my class was 90% women today. And, and the person telling us to shock everything was a guy. So it should half the time be a, 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 a gal. So little changes every day. Sounds good. I feel a little sympathy for your BLS instructor. I don't know if he was prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Stephanie, anything else I missed that you want to, any last last words? No, I, I think um, Dr. Freischlag almost uh, or mentioned the important part of, of this whole picture of women in medicine. And I think that is the consistent underrepresentation of women in top leadership roles. So Dr. Freischlag, notwithstanding, um, there, I think there does continue to be a a underrepresentation in the chair level, the dean level, the high high leadership roles. Um, I, I think probably to get true change, that probably needs to to change. Um, and I just I wanted to mention that I think one thing that has that that has to do with is people assume that women don't want those leadership roles, um, and it's not necessarily true. Um, I've had multiple experiences where people have. Um, said to me, you know, Stephanie, you would have been great for this position, but I know you're so busy at home with little kids. Or Stephanie, I, I would have considered you for this, but I try to keep my young mothers protected from too much responsibility. And, you know, I know they meant well, but at the same time, I'm pretty good at managing my own time. And I can decide whether I think a leadership role is compatible with my family responsibilities. I, I don't need that decided for me. Um, so I, I think uh, as as we have hope and as we move forward, getting women in those top leadership roles is going to be really important. And I think we can get there um, following the footsteps of, of wonderful people like Dr. Freischlag. Um, but I think that's going to be important. I just did another podcast today that said that you can influence from below, but to change the world, you have to be in charge. 
And, yeah. and, and you will see that with me endlessly as we, not whether it's an AED or whatever I need, my teams at work as we go forward. Uh, I need a new senior associate dean for education that we've posted. We'll make sure we include all because that's what we, those are our patients, those are our students. And you're absolutely right. Um, if you want something done, I would ask the most busiest person in the room. <laughs> yeah. well, I appreciate both of you um, on, on today's thank podcast. You. I know we're out of time. Uh, I just want to thank you both again. Uh, this is a very important issue. This is, again, this is just Paul Singh from Consultant 360. And you listen to our, our Consultant 360 podcast series, Women Leaders in Critical Care. Thank you so much, ladies. Have a wonderful rest of the day and happy International Women's Day again. Thank you. Thanks so much.